Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. 916-633-1537, Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com, Ratchet Book Club on Twitter, Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Chapter 113. Bet, the Duke's cook, had risen early that morning. She had hurried down to the kitchen, and by dawn, busied herself with her usual task of preparing the morning meal. She stirred the porridge until it was a perfect consistency. She took down a jar of cinnamon, a sweet new spice brought back from the east, and sprinkled it onto the simmering grain. She fried cured pork over the flame, and it gave off a delicious fatty smell. She dressed the porridge with currants. The two guards who stood watch outside the pantry, she knew, were about to end their overnight shift. Pierre and Emo, lazy slobs, this wasn't exactly crack duty, guarding the royal kitchen when an army threatened at the gates. Bet knew they would be dead tired, ready for a snooze, and that their bellies would be aching for something to eat. The early morning cooking smells would lure them like a horse scent. Yeah, we talked about scents last episode. We ain't getting into it again, but not a good allegory. As the sun broke through the early mist, Bet tied up two burlap sacks filled with last night's mess. Then she poked her head out of the kitchen. What are you making? It smells like heaven. Pierre, the plumper of the guard, said. Whatever it is, the Duke seems to prize it, Bet winked. And there's extra this morning if I can get a chore done for me. Show us, Cookie, Pierre said. Bet grinned and led them back through the kitchen. She showed them the two heavy pails of garbage. Empty them in the back, Bet instructed. Just make sure you captains of war don't spill them. Pile on those currants, Emo grinned, hoisting his pail. We'll be right back. Of course, Bet nodded. She looked out the window. An anxious tremor fluttered in her heart. This was a dangerous line she had crossed, but she had crossed it in her mind long ago. When the Duke unceremoniously hanged her friend Natalie as a thief for taking a bit of salt from the physician's chambers, and when her second cousin Teddy had his flock confiscated and was forced to tend to them in the Duke's own pen, she would have gladly poisoned the prick herself if he would asked. The two soldiers went back and emptied the pails carelessly onto the garbage pile, drooling with the anticipation of their forthcoming meal. Behind them, two other soldiers dressed in purple and white stood up and grabbed them by the neck. Pierre and Emo's eyes bulged as they were dragged to the ground. Bet wiped her hands on a rag. Yes, it was a dangerous line she had crossed, but what choice was there? She sighed. It was a crazy time when you had to choose between a madman and a fool. So we're not going to do anything? We probably will. We probably will. Maybe. I don't know. Like, the last chapters ended up with them saying, hey, what's going on? Somebody coming down the stairs, and then we just go to bed, and there's nothing else past it. I guess they subdued those other guards, I guess, but still. Come on, man. Cliffhangers. I left this on one. You got to clean that up. Chapter 114. In an hour's time, 14 of our men stood about the courtyard, dressed as Baldwin's own brigade. The rest kept from sight, concealed behind the dungeon door. Like Bet, three of Jeffrey's friends had helped lure soldiers into our trap. Otto and I stood guard at the dungeon door, looking for a sign that the Duke was conducting business. Across the courtyard, two guards stood with halberds on either side of the castle entrance. Others crossed back and forth at a crisp pace, 
wheeling weapons and armaments down to the ramparts. From down the road, we could hear our own men massing at the city walls, shouting and taunting, just as I had ordered them. Finally, I spotted Jeffrey entering the courtyard. He scratched his head, then flashed me a purposeful nod. It's time, I said, rapping at the dungeon door. Odo slid it open. The balance of our party, some still in their own clothes, headed out. In the hubbub of people moving about, no one noticed. We made our way across the courtyard. We were joined by the rest of our ranks in Baldwin's uniform, loitering about. As we approached the castle guards, one of them lowered his halberd in our path. Only military personnel in the castle today. These men have business before the Duke, I said, indicating those not wearing guards' uniforms. They come from the woods and know of the jester. The guards hesitated. They eyed us up and down. My heart beat wildly. We've come from the wall, I said in a firmer voice. Do you have the time to conduct an investigation when there's important news to deliver to the Duke? Finally, eyeing our uniforms, the guard retracted the halberd and let us by. We were inside the castle. I boldly led the group through the main vestibule towards the Great Hall. To my surprise, the halls were not as busy as I expected. Most of the Duke's manpower was defending the walls. The times I had been here before, these same halls were crowded with petitioners and favor seekers. I led the way to the Great Hall. Two more guards stood at attention before the large doorway. The Duke's voice bellowed inside. My stomach churned. We are wanted within. I snapped a nod to the guards. I wore the purple and white. We'd made it this far. No one made a move to block us. Our ranks sifted into the Duke's large meeting room. It was just as I remember when I had been a jester here, except that then it had been packed with people conducting business. Today, I saw mostly Baldwin's retinue and knights. Baldwin was slouched in his chair. He wore a military tunic with his crest and high leather boots. His sword was sheathed on an ornate scabbard. The pig. A high-ranking officer was concluding a report on the scene outside the walls. Two of my men remained behind, near the guards of the doorway. My lord, the chamberlain said, the rabble has made a petition for you to consider. A petition? Baldwin shrugged. A list of demands, the new Shadowland, who had presumably taken over from Norcross, explained. My men circulated around the room. Otto and Alphonse took positions behind the Duke. Alois and two others from Morrissey edged near the Chamberlain and the Shadowland. Who brings these demands? Baldwin perked up. Our fucking jester? No, my lord, the Chamberlain replied. Your jester is nowhere in sight. Perhaps he's afraid to get out of bed. But it is as we spoke. Let them deliver their complaints, and you give them the impression that you will seriously take them into account. Into account? Baldwin stroked his beard. He turned to the Shadowlin. Shadowlin, choose your lowest, most unfit soldier, prop him up on a mule, and send him out to receive these grievances. Have him convey to the filth that they have his assurance it'll receive our most urgent review. A few of the knights snickered. The Shadowlin stepped up. I beg you, sir, not to mock these men. Your protest is heard. Now, hurry off and find this latrine cleaner. And, Gooey, when your man is safely back, kill a few of them. Just to assure them that we're placing their petition under our most urgent review. But, my lord, 
They'll be protected under truce, the Shadowland said hesitantly. Are you whining again? Chamberlain, do you think you could head to the walls and carry out this decree? My military man seems to have come down with a case of cold dick. I can, my lord. The fat weasel scrambled away. About the room, everyone stood aghast at the Shadowland's rebuke. Now, Baldwin said, staring around the room. Is there anyone else in here who has a similar plan? Yes, I shouted from the back of the room. I think we should attack. Attack your enemies in the West. Chapter 115 Baldwin pounded his fist. We don't have any fucking enemies in the... Then he fixed perfectly still. His eyes bulged like dark plums. Who said that? Who is that man? Step forward. I stepped out from the crowd and let the military tunic fall off my shoulders. I stood in my checkerboard tunic and leggings. I removed my helmet. I watched his eyes home in on my face. You do now? I winked at him. Baldwin's face drained a color. Then he stood and pointed at me, saying, It's him! The jester! Soldiers went for their arms but were immediately intercepted by men in their own uniform. My men, pressing swords to their throats. The Shadowland made a move towards me, but Alois subdued him before he drew a sword. Seize him! Do you hear? Baldwin ordered the guards behind his chair. They moved towards me, but almost in the same motion took hold of the Duke. Odo was one of them. He placed a knife against Baldwin's throat. Alphonse dug his sword into the middle of Baldwin's back. The Duke's eyes grew wide with disbelief. He looked at his knights, many of whom had scrambled for their arms. If they charge, you're a dead bastard, I said to him. It would give me so much pleasure. Baldwin looked about, his neck muscles twitching. Outrage smoldered in his eyes. All around, men loyal to the Duke were held at knife point. Some knights drew their swords, looking to Baldwin for the word. Tell them, arms down, I said. Odo pressed his knife and finally drew a trickle of noble blood. Baldwin's eyes flitted desperately from side to side as he estimated the probable outcome of any resistance. Trust me, Liege. These men who hold you hate you more than I do, I said. I do not know if they'll even heed me. They want to spill your guts so badly. But, on the assumption that they want their children to live in peace more than they want your steaming entrails on the floor, I beg you, tell the knights to put down their arms. Otherwise, when I drop my hand, you are dead. Baldwin did not answer, but continued to look about. Then, he nodded almost imperceptibly. One by one, the knight's blades clattered to the floor. My chest heaved a sigh of relief. Now we go outside, my liege. You'll tell your men on the walls to lay down their arms. The duke swallowed, a lump slowly traveling down his throat. You are insane, he spat. And you seem to be a little fool-struck as well, my lord, if you don't mind me saying. An amused snicker traveled across the room. You will be dead by nightfall, Baldwin turned his gaze into my face. Towns will come to my defense. To rise against the lord this way, you could only be the biggest fool in history. I looked slowly around the room. Odo crowed back a smile, then Alphonse, then Alois. Perhaps the second biggest, I replied. Chapter 116 
we dragged the Lord Baldwin outside, forcing him his sword point to the castle gates. Each soldier we passed looked on with dumbfounded shock. Some, no doubt eager to resist, looked to their liege for a sign, but at the sight of Baldwin's beaten eyes and the bailiff, Chamberlain, and Shadowland trailing submissively behind, they held their weapons at their sides. As we marched, stunned townspeople rushed to line the streets. They must have thought themselves hung over. A few began to jeer. Look at Baldwin. It's what you deserve, you greedy hog. There was laughing, and scraps of food and debris began to be thrown. Shame! 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 You know, Game of Thrones. As we approached the walls, I saw the word must have traveled ahead. Soldiers were just staring at us, lances and bows held at their sides. Tell them the battle is over, I pushed Baldwin forward. Tell them to lay down their arms and open the gate. You can't expect them to stand by and let in that mob, Baldwin sniffed. They'll be, they'll be ripped to shreds. Not a soul will be harmed. You have my word on it, except, of course, you. I continue pressing the sword and deeper if you fail to comply. My guess is not one of them will mind the sight of that very much. Baldwin swallowed. Put down your arms, he said through gritted teeth. Louder, I prodded him. Put down your arms, Baldwin shouted. The castle is lost. Open the gates. Everyone remained still, in disbelief. Then two of my men ran and threw off the heavy beams that secured the gates. They flung the doors open, and a band of our men, Georges the Miller at the lead, burst in. What took you so long, the Miller said, coming up to me. Our leads were so thoroughly set on hearing each last grievance, we lost track of time, I grinned. Georges ran his eyes over the captured Duke. No doubt he had been thinking of this moment for a long time. My apologies, Lord. You raised our taxes. I think I owe you my last installment. With that, he spat a thick yellow wad all over the Duke's face. George's eyes remained on him while a spit slowly trickled its way down Baldwin's chin. Now here's my grievance. He put his face close to the Duke's. I am George's, Miller of Vale du Père. I want my son back. All around us, farmers and peasants spilled into the streets and climbed up the ramparts. Hesitant soldiers climbed out of the towers and ran terrified off the walls. A few people started to shout my name. Hugh! 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 I looked with pride at the Miller and Odo, and we thrust our arms victoriously into the air. Chapter 117 We tossed Baldwin into his own dungeon, into the dark, cramped cell where I was once held myself. There was much in those first few hours that needed my attention. With the Duke under lock and key, his soldiers had to be disarmed, and the plotting Chamberlain and Bailiff put under guard. The Shadowland too, though strangely, I did not feel him an enemy. Order had to be maintained in our ranks as well if we intended to press our case in a peaceful way before the king. My mind ran to Emily. Where was she? I needed to share this with her. Our victory was as much hers as mine. A flash of worry went through me. I hurried out of the castle and down the narrow streets in the direction of Jeffrey's home. People tried to stop and cheer me, but I pushed through, keeping up a brave face but inwardly beseeching them to let me pass. Something was wrong. My pace quickened as I neared the market. Some of the merchants shouted my name, but I ignored them and finally turned down the street to Jeffrey's house. I pounded on the door. 
Something now terrified me. I slammed my fists against the door, my heart galloping with each desperate knock. Finally, the door creaked open. Isabel was there. She had a look on her face that was first pleased to find me well, then all at once serious and alarmed. I knew something was wrong. She's gone, Hugh, she muttered. Gone? Gone where? How? All the strength in my body seemed to drain away. At first, I thought she went to find you, but just a while ago, I found this. Isabel handed me a note, scribbled in a hurried hand. My brave Hugh, do not fear as you read this, for my heart is yours, always, but I must go. By now, your victory is complete. I was not wrong, was I? What once was will not always be. You have climbed a rung to your own destiny. To see you do this, confirm the specialness I saw in you from the first, nothing in the world could make me more proud. But now, I must return to Bore. Don't be angry. Anne is like a mother to me. I cannot abandon her and be joyous in the glory of your triumph. Please, do not worry. There are some things I have not shared with you, and even Stephen would not dare to do me any harm. Write the king, Hugh. Make your triumph true. I will do my part. This was so cruel. My eyes well with stinging tears. I could not lose her, not now, after so much had happened. I swallowed hard, struggling to read the end. You've been my true love since I saw you that very first day. I know I shall say that to you when we see each other again. I hold up my palm. Remember the words. In all the world, Emily. A sharp pain lanced through me, bleeding out the joy and triumph of all that had taken place. I had won the day, but I had lost the woman I loved. Chapter 118 Who is there? A cranky voice barked from behind the door. Speak to me! Emily hunched inside of her dark hood. The familiar testiness was like an old friend, and it made her smile. Have your wits become as dull as your jokes, Norbert? She called back. Slowly, the door to the jester's chamber cracked open. Norbert peeked out, his tunic open to his chest and his hair tousled and awry. At first, he regarded the huddled shape suspiciously. Then, as she removed the hood, his eyes opened wide. Lady Emily. Norbert glanced down the corridor to make sure she was alone, then spread his arms and embraced her. It is a beautiful sight to see you. Emily squeezed him back. It's good to see you too, jester. Norbert hurried her inside his room. He shut the door, then frowned. It's a beautiful sight, my lady, but not necessarily to see you here. But tell me, quick, you've been with Hugh? Emily brought him up to date, first on the raid of Vale du Pere, and then the existence of the Lance. The very staff you sent to Hugh. Then, of the incredible events that followed, the townspeople who had risen up with them, Triel, with each piece of news, the jester's eyes grew more incredulous, his cackles of delight more unrestrained. When she told him of Baldwin's capture, he danced around and fell back on his mat, kicking his legs with glee. I knew that boy was a gift from God, but this? He lifted himself back up, his laughter subsiding. He studied her face, the rosy cast of her cheeks. But tell me, my lady, why are you here now? Emily lowered her eyes. For my mistress. It's my duty. Your mistress? Then you traveled a long way and at much risk for no end. Things are much changed here. 
The Duke dreams of killing Hugh with the zeal of a dog slobbering over a cooking roast. Does anyone know you've arrived? I mingle with the party of monks returning from pilgrimage. I came to you first. That is wise. Your last running off is exposed. It's assumed you are with Hugh. If not for Lady Anne's protests, Stephen's guards would be looking for you too. Emily's face lit up. I knew she would be true. I was right about Anne. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, just because somebody's nice to you doesn't mean they're going to be nice to everybody, obviously. I mean, I've told this to a lot of people and they look at me blankly, but somewhere out there in the world, there's somebody, someone, maybe only one person, but there's someone out there in the world who really wants to punch your mom in the face. Everybody's got somebody who they don't like. They, it, it, it might be for no reason whatsoever. It might just be the way they dress. It might just be their breath. I don't know. But everybody's got somebody that they don't like. So for you to trust Anne and say, see, I told you she was honorable. No, she's honorable to you. She's not honorable to everybody. And the line is still there that Sophie was in her dungeon and she was well aware of her. And she knew that they were looking for Hugh and didn't say anything. So there's a line that has to actually be discussed. There's 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 certain things that have to be discussed and ironed out before y'all can go forward as a group. If you and he were going to be together because it's legitimate. His angst is really there. Like your duchess, I guess, screwed him over pretty bad. She ain't screwed you over, but that's just like all these folks on social media who sit back and watch their favorite or their their bestie or their or a, or somebody famous do something horrible to people, and they sit back and just let it happen because well they're always nice to me. Well, yeah, it's the same thing people said about Trump. Well, he's you know he's never lied to me. Well, he's literally caging up little kids, and he's talking bad about black folks. He's talking bad about. Mexican folks, he's talking bad about LGBTQ, he's talking bad about all these people, but y'all are sitting there and letting it happen because it hasn't happened to you, and that's just selfish. So even if Emily is watching this and she's like, oh, I knew Anne wasn't like, yes, she is. You can't turn your back. Once you know the truth, you have to measure and meter the truth in your comments, and no one ever does that. You know to be true what she did to Sophie. You know to be true what she caused to happen. Or what she was a part of. And I realized that she got abused. I realized she was hurt. I realized her husband was a piece of trash. But she was still a part of it. She still talked to Morgane uh, behind the wall of the uh, castle. She still did all these things. She was still a part of this. She still knew. You got to measure it. Everybody's not perfect. No one's perfect. Everybody's fallible. Right now, there's somebody out there in the world right now, and I'm pretty sure I know who it is, who if they saw me and they could, they punch me square in the face. But they can't. They can't. Chapter 119. It took several days to completely secure Triel. There were a few stubborn knights still loyal to Baldwin and word of a purported reprisal from one of the Duke's supposed allies. But no reprisal came. Triel was ours. Now there was a matter of what to do with it. There was the issue of the Duke's treasury, which had been fattened on the backs of those who now occupied the city. And the vast stores of grain and livestock had to be redistributed fairly. A debate raged between those who had been with us from the start and those who joined later about what to do. 
Georgia said, give out the keys to the grain holds. Let each man leave with a sack and a hen. Aloise said, why stop there? Raid the treasury. Redistribute all the money. Put a noose to the bastard. I wish Emily were there. I had no skill to govern, nor the urge. I did not know exactly what to do or what was right. It was only a matter of time before I would lose my army. Their ranks were growing impatient. They wanted to go back to their homes. It's harvest time, they said. When do we get what we were promised? Honestly, I don't know who promised you anything. Y'all joined him. He held up the lance. Y'all came marching. Like you got what you came for. The Baldwin is conquered, right? I don't know. And not just food and money. They needed laws to protect them. The right to choose, where to live, whom they would serve. If a man was pledged to a lord, need his children and their children be bound by the same pledge? Someone had to rule on such things. One night, I found a sheaf of paper, Baldwin seal, and a vial of viscous red-tinged ink. I sat down and started to write the most important letter of my life. To His Majesty, Philip Capet, ruler of France. I pray God grants me the words by with which to write this. For I am a humble townsman. A bondsman, in fact, thrust into a larger role. I am said to be the leader of a group of brave men. Some call it a rabble. I call it an outpouring. An outpouring of farmers, tanners, woodsmen, all your servants, who are risen up against our liege lord after repeated cruel and unnecessary attacks. I write from Triel, your majesty, where I sit at Duke Baldwin's own table, his lordship held prisoner, while I await word from you as to what to do next. We are not traitors. Far from it. We bound together to fight cruel injustice, and only when it threatened our safety and well-being. We bound together to demand laws, so that rape and murder could not be committed on us freely, and property destroyed without cause. We bound together to free ourselves from a servitude without end. Is it such an incredible dream, sire, that all God's men, common and noble alike, should be governed by just laws? Many who march with us have served your majesty in wars, or taken up the cross of his holiness in the ongoing struggle against the Turk. We ask only for what we have been promised for such service. The right to a fair tax, the right to grievance and recompense for harsh penalties forced upon us, the right to face an asylum at trial, noble or not. The right to own land, fairly paid to our Lord, for years of labor and toil. We have done all this with little bloodshed. We have acted in peace and respect. But our ranks grow weary. Please send us word, your majesty, of your convictions on such matters. In return for your judgment, I offer you the only tribute I have. But I think, a worthy one. The most holy treasure in all the Christendom thrust into my possession at Antioch. The very lance that pierced the Lord Jesus Christ upon the cross. It is a treasure worth having, yet, amazing as it is, it is not nearly as great as the hearts of these men who serve you. We await your answer. In faith, your humble servant, Hugh DeLuke, innkeeper, Vail de Paird. I have the honor to be your obedient servant, Hugh de Luke. I waited for the ink to dry. A tightness pulled in my chest. So many had died. Sophie, Matthew, my baby son, 
Nico, Robert, the Turk, all to get me here. The lance was leaning against the table. What if I had died in that church at the hands of the Turk, I thought. What if none of this had taken place? Finally, I folded the parchment and bound it with the Duke's own seal. I saw that my hands trembled. A most miraculous thing had just taken place. I, a bondman, a jester by trade, a man without a home, without a denier to his name, I had just addressed a letter to the King of France. Part 5. Siege. Chapter 120. Stephen, Duke of Boré, winces the physician applied another repulsive leech to his back. If you bleed me any more, physician, there'll be more of me in these suckers than left in me. The physician went about his work. You complain of ill humor, my lord, yet you complain of the cure as well. Stephen sniffed. All the leeches in the world couldn't bleed me enough to raise my mood. Ever since the failure of Morgan's raid, Stephen had been hurled into a biting melancholy. His most trusted and ruthless men had been routed. Worst, he had lost his best chance to grab the lance. Then, to make matters worse, the arrogant little pest had the gall to march on Triel. It made his collar boil to a fever pitch. Then, only yesterday, he had received the incredible news that the fool had actually taken Triel, that Baldwin, idiot of idiots, had surrendered his own castle. Stephen grimaced feeling his humor sucked out of him by these slimy little slugs. So the lance was still to be had. He thought of calling the crusade to liberate Triel, to capture the prize that had been pilfered by the deserter, and to return it to his rightful place. Boré, of course. But who knew where it would end up then? Paris, or, or Rome, or even back in Antioch. At that moment, things got even worse. Anne walked in. She looked at him, prone, covered with welts, and held back a smile of amusement. You asked for me, my lord? I did. Physician, give me a word with my wife. Stephen jumped up, swatting the slimy little creatures off his back. You have the hand of an executioner, doctor, not a healer. Get these creatures out of here. From now on, I'll handle my ill temper my own way. So, all y'all who go swimming in creeks and lakes and marshes and whatever else, like, this is why I don't. When I was little, like, maybe 10, I saw Stand By Me. You know, the, the Stephen King movie with Christian Phoenix or whatever his name is. River Phoenix or Joaquin Phoenix. I don't really know. There was a Phoenix in there somewhere. Or Riverdale. Or I don't know. But it was the, the guy from Sliders was in it. Sliders is a great show. But he was in it. And they it was based on a Stephen King story. And they walked and they went through a, a river or whatever. And they came up and had leeches all over them. And one had a leech attached to his dong along. And he screamed. I remember that part. After that, nah. It has to be a contained area of water, like a pool, for me to get in. And even then, I rarely get into a pool because that's just kid soup. Ugh. One of my son's friends told me with glee how much he pees in a pool one time when he was younger. And I was like, nope. Nope. But that's what the chlorine does. Mm -mm. Nope. 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 Get out of my way. And regarding him with a slight smile. I'm surprised these slimy things offend you so, since you're akin in so many ways. 
She came over and ran her hand along his back, mottled with fiery red welts. From the look of this, your ill temper must have been most severe. Shall I apply the salve? If you're not too offended to touch me, Stephen kept her eye. Of course not, husband. She dipped her hands into the thick white ointment, applying it liberally to the welts on his back. I'm quite used to offense. What was it you needed of me? I hope to inquire into the well-being of your cousin Emily, that her visit to her aunt went well. I suspect so, Anne spread the solve. She seemed quite rosy. Rosy. Both of them knew the bitch never went within 50 miles of the old hen, her aunt. I would like to talk with her, he said, and hear the details of her visit. These leeches seem to have dug particularly deep, Anne said, applying pressure to one sore. Stephen jumped. His head spun. All this leisure here does not seem to suit you, husband. Perhaps you should return to the Holy Land for some more amusement. Regarding Emily, I'm afraid she's too weary to provide much detail. Weary, she said, pressing again, yet rosy, as I say. Enough. Stephen seized her arm. You know I do not need to ask you for your permission. You do not. Anne glared, but you also know she remains under my protection, and even you, my scheming husband, must know what price you'll have to pay if any harm comes to her. She dug the edge of her nail into a particularly swollen welt, Stephen almost jumping off the table. He raised his arm as if to strike. Anne did not flinch. Instead, she merely looked at him, a detestation firing in her eyes. Then she slowly eased into a smile. I am here, husband, if you wish to strike. Or I can call one of the housemaids if you find my face too rough. I shall not be mocked, Stephen said, brushing her away within my own house. Then perhaps it will be wise to move, Anne smiled sharply. Get out, he shouted, passing his hand within an inch of her face. Do not pretend, Anne, that your little vow of protection gives me even a moment of hesitation. In the end, you will regret such mockery. You and the pink-cheeked whore that waits on you and the low-born fool she is so wont to fuck. Chapter 121 Your grace, Stephen knelt to kiss the ruby ring of Bartholomew, Bishop of Bore, even though he thought him the most air-filled, well-fed functionary in France. So good of you to join me on such short notice. Please, sit here by me. Bishop Bartholomew was a corpulent, owl-eyed man with a sagging jowl that seemed to sink almost undetectably into his massive purple robe. Stephen wondered how such a man could take a step, or climb a stair, or even perform his sacraments. He knew the bishop did not like being summoned. He thought he was too good for this diocese and longed for a larger position, in Paris, or even Rome. You have taken me for my sext for this? The bishop wheezed. At Stephen's nod, a young page filled two silver cups with ale. It's called a limbic, Stephen raised his goblet. It is brewed by monks near Flanders. The bishop managed a smile. If it is God's work, then I feel I've not strayed too far. They both took a deep draft. <sighs> the cleric licked his lips. It is most sweet. Taste of apples and mead. Yet, I feel you did not call me to hear my opinions of your ale. 
I've asked you here today, Stephen said, because there's a hole torn in my soul which you can help mend. Bartholomew nodded and listened. Stephen leaned in close. You've heard of this uprising in the South, where a jester has led a rabble of peasants. Bartholomew smirked. I know a stupider man does not exist in Baldwin, so it is not far-fetched that he was outfoxed by a fool. Yet, reports say this man was your fool once, your lordship? Stephen put down his cup and glared through the bishop's haughty smile. Let me get to the point, your grace. Do you know what this jester carries with him? That is the source of his appeal. The message of a better life. The freedom from bondage, the bishop said. It is not his message that I speak of, but his staff. The cleric nodded. I have heard that he parades around with the spear purported to be the holy lance. But these petty prophets are always claiming this or that. Holy water from the baptism of St. John, burial shrouds of the Virgin Mary. So this does not concern you, Stephen asked, that a trumped-up country boy used the name of our Lord to incite rebellion? These local prophets, the bishop sighed, they come and go like the frost every year. Stephen leaned forward, and it does not concern you that this peasant marches around with the word of Christ, inciting the rabble to overthrow their lieges. Sounds like you're the one who is worried, Stephen. Besides, I have heard that it's not grace this lad is seeking, but grain. A smile etched onto the cleric's face, a smile of a gambling man with knowledge of the outcome. What do you want, Stephen, for the church to fight your battles? Shall we contact Rome and declare a holy crusade against a fool? What I want, your grace, is to strike these ignorant puppets where they most ache. More than their bellies or their desires, or their silly dreams of this precious freedom they long to taste. Bartholomew waited for him, quizzically. Their souls, your grace. I want to crush their souls. And you are the man who can do it for me. The bishop put down his drink. His expression shifted from amusement to concern. Just what is it that you want me to do? Chapter 122. No reply came from the king. And day by day, the ranks grew more tired and impatient. These were not soldiers prepared to occupy a city like Triel. They were farmers, tradesmen, husbands, and fathers. They longed to go home. Lookouts were scattered along the road to the north, but each day, no answer came. Why? If Emily had contacted them, if she was able, and what if she were not? Then, one day, our lookouts did spot a party traveling south towards the castle. I was in the great room. Alphonse burst in. Hugh, a party of riders is approaching. It looks like it could be from the king. We rushed to the city walls as fast as our legs would carry us. I climbed the ramparts and watched the party approach, my heart racing. From the north, six riders at full gallop, knights carrying a banner, but not in the purple and gold of the royal flag. But with a cross upon it, knights pledged to the church. They escorted a rider in the center of their group, in the dark robes of a cleric. We drew open the outer gates, and the party rode into the courtyard. A crowd gathered in the square. All of us. Odo, George's, the Morsey men, many grinned optimistically. Is this good or bad? Alphonse asked. I think it's good, Father Leo said. The king wouldn't send a priest to rebuke us. You'll see. The gaunt, clear-eyed priest slowly dismounted. 
He wasted no time and faced the crowd. I am Father Julian, emissary to his eminence, Bishop Bartholomew. I bear an urgent decree. I am Hugh, I said. I bowed and made the sign of the cross to show respect. My message is for all to hear, the priest said, passing his eyes right over me. He removed the folded document from his robe and held it aloft. Occupier de Triel, the cleric began in a loud, clear voice. Farmers, woodsmen, tradesmen, bondmen, and free. All followers of the man known as Hugh DeLuc, a deserter from the Army of the Cross, would still valiantly fight to free the Holy Land. A flash of worry chilled my blood. The crowd grew still. His eminence, the Bishop Bartholomew Abreu, rebukes you for your false rebellion and urges you this day, the 17th of October, 1098, to disband at once, to renounce all claims and territories seized from Duke Baldwin Triel, and to return to your villages at once or face the full consequences of your actions. Immediate and total excommunication from the Church of Rome and the separation from grace forever for your eternal souls. The priest paused to observe the look of shock that was on every face, including mine. His eminence insists, he continued, that you repudiate all teachings and promises of the heretic Hugh DeLuc, deny the legitimacy of and confiscate any relics or symbols claimed to be of holy origin in his possession, and discredit all claims made to present him as an agent of our Lord Jesus Christ. No, people shook their heads. This cannot be. They looked about at one another, at me, with alarm. The young priest shouted over them, In the hopes that you will adhere to this decree immediately, and that your souls may be made available to once again receive the Holy Sacrament, a two-day period of enforcement is declared, citing me as final overseer. This edict is signed His Eminence, Bartholomew Abreu, Bishop of Bore, representative of the Holy See. Bore, I thought. Stephen had done this. A frightened hush hung over the crowd. This is madness, Father Leo spoke. These people are not heretics. They only fought for food in their mouths. Then I suggest they chew quickly, the young priest said, and return to their farms before their souls remain hungry forever. And you as well, country priest. He tacked the attic on the church's wall. This is Stephen's blackmail, I shouted to all around. It's the lance that he wants. Then give it to him, someone yelled, if it buys back our immortal souls. I'm, I'm sorry, Hugh. I came for a fight. Another shook his head, but I'm not prepared to be damned for eternity. All around, our army looked terrified and overwhelmed. Some climbed down from the walls and meandered slowly towards the city gates. That's right, the priest nodded. The church welcomes you, but only if you act now. Go back to your farms and wives. How could I fight against this poisonous assault? These brave men thought they were doing something good when they followed me. Something that God would shine on. I watched the steady stream of friends and fighters pass dejectedly by me and towards the city gates. A tightening anger barreled deep into my chest. We had just lost the war. Okay, so I know that there's folks who are listening to me who are spiritual. I'm spiritual. Um, I'm spiritual in the mind that I believe that there's nothing to be found in the church. 
if you believe in God, then God is one with you. He he steps with you. They 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 are with you. They are in you. It's not something out there. Um, but you may not be. You may be you know more stringent like the churches where you have to be every Sunday, and that's cool. That's dope. Um, if you're Catholic, this whole part is for Catholics because this literally makes no sense to me. Like what I know or what I think I know is that the God that I follow on Twitter would not want me. <laughs> I shouldn't have said that part. The God that I follow would not want me to be scared to lose my eternal soul because of something as trivial as a lance that stabbed him. My God would not want me to cede power over my life to another man who says he speaks to God in my be on my behalf. And I think that's always the thing that I've I've thought about Catholics. Like y'all are waiting for someone else to go pray for you to God. When he's literally right there just sitting and waiting. They're literally right there sitting and waiting. Like never understood that part. Also all the kneeling. Not my thing. I went to a Catholic church once and saw all the the, they literally have pillows on the back of pews for folks to kneel and all that. No, I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I'm not. I'm not. My knees don't work like that. I can drop it low, but I'm gonna need help getting back up. But back in these days, wars were fought over what priests said God willed them to do. So even back then, there was no separation of church and state, as you can see. Like the church ruled; they governed everything. Except in this one, the Duke, Stephen, is literally telling the church, this is what I'll need you to do. So, yeah. The church is causing chaos on behalf of the state. And that's not cool. But even right now, it's happening. I mean, I'm sure if I actually went into a church, there's pastors who are preaching about how great this uh, loss of rights for people who want to get an abortion is I'm certain that there's churches that are doing that. All right. Chapter 123. That night, Otto found me huddled by myself in the chapel. I was actually praying, praying about what to do. If there was indeed a God, I did not believe he would let a bunch of scheming, well-fed pawns like Father Julian, who didn't give a thought to whether my men lived or died, crush their resolve. I know we're deep in shit, Odo said with a snort, if we got you praying. How many of our men are still left, I asked. Half, maybe less. By tomorrow, who knows, perhaps not even enough to hold the city. But we still have some good ones. Georges, Alphonse, the Morrissey boys. Even Father Leo. Most of those who've been with us from the start. I gave him a weak smile. Still trusting me? Nah. I wouldn't say that. Let's just say, if they're making their bet with God, they trust the Holy Lance more than they trust that slimy church mouse. I pulled the lance from the bench next to me and cradled it in my palms. So, Odo said, that thing providing any answers? What's next? What is next, I replied, is that it's me Stephen wants, or at least this, not your souls. This etic is a challenge. Come face me if you have the will. I have no choice but to go. 
go, Odo laughed. You're going to march on Boray with what we have left? No, my friend. I shook my head. I'm going to march on Boray alone. It seemed to take Odo a second to decide whether to object or roll his eyes. You're going to Boray. Just you and that spear. You see what he's telling me, Odo. He's burned villages to get this lance. He's killed my wife and child. He has Emily now. What else can I do? We can wait. Keep Baldwin under guard until word comes. The king will surely stop this lunacy. This is the king's word. I shook my head. The king is noble. He will side with Baldwin and Stephen without even hearing our claims. These men are pledged to him. They raise armies to fight his wars. We, what do we raise? Hens? Even a king can be swayed by a good omelet. The big smith chuckled. Then he looked at me plainly. I'm with you, Hugh. Until the end. I grabbed his wrist. No more, Odo. You've been a loyal friend, all of you. You trust me more than any fool could ever ask for. I shot him a smile. But now, I have to face this. This thing, it has brought me mostly pain. But some things, seeing the town stand up, feeling the pride as we march on Triel, Baldwin's face, they've been a joy. You become quite a bad philosopher since you put on that skirt, Odo commented. Maybe. But I go alone. Otto didn't answer, just took a deep breath and smiled. Then he looked around. So this is what it's like on the inside of a church. The seats are hard and there's nothing to eat. I, I don't see the attraction. That makes two of us, I grinned in reply. We sat a moment, draped in silence. So, where will we be, I asked, if I hadn't wandered off that day on the crusade, if I had never left and Sophie and Philip were still alive? And Father Leo was preaching dull sermons, and you still put in an honest day's work. Odo checked the window for the angle of the sun. I figure hoisting an ale and listening to your stupid jokes. I stood up, patted him on the back. Then let's do that, friend. I'm sure there's a seller here, and I still know a few you haven't heard. Chapter 124 at dawn the next morning, I pulled on my tattered jester's tunic, <laughs> said goodbye to my old friends who had been with me from the start, put the sacred lance under my arm, and left. Georges, Odo, Father Leo, and Alphonse met me by the city gates. I urged them not to buckle, but to remain and hold the city. That what we had done was right and will one day be honored. But what I had to do now was right too, and I had to face it alone, whatever the cost. As I prepared to mount my horse, I gave Georges and Odo heartfelt hugs. God bless you both, I said. I thanked them for following me, for believing, for taking the chance. In their strong, silent embraces and held back tears, I felt the grip of a sadness that we might never see one another again. Then I mounted the horse and, glancing back with a wink and a smile, headed down the hill. I vowed not to look back again. At the base of the hill, with the gates closed and Triel rising behind me, I broke the promise to myself. I stared back at the tall, foreboding walls, the high, unscalable towers, the town that could not be taken. I couldn't help but utter a laugh. 
A spark of pride warmed my blood. Serfs and bondmen had seized their liege's castle without even fighting a battle. Baldwin's apoplectic face rose up in my mind, and for that single moment, it had all been worth it. But now, Baldwin was behind me. One final challenge lay ahead. It was what the person who had burned our village, who had killed my wife and child, who now held the one I loved. I knew this battle was no longer simply about rights and freedom. It had narrowed to something deeper, personal. I turned my back on Triel a final time and kicked my mount upon its way. My mind was set on Bore. 916-633-1537. Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Leave review on Spotify. You can also leave review on Podchaser, uh, Apple Podcasts, and on the Good Pods app. Um, you could donate to the show at patreon.com slash single simulcast or on buymeacoffee.com slash sscast or on the Good Pods app. You can leave a tip in the tip jar. Thank you so much for listening. I greatly appreciate it. Y'all be good. I'm a hot letter. Peace. Outro to Ratchet Book Club is by That Kid Garan and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this beat. This is Single Simulcast.